Well, if we could this evening turn back to that portion of scripture that we read. The book of Ruth. And chapter 4. And we'll take us our text. The words of verse 9 and 10. <coughs> Ruth chapter 4 and verse 9. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and to Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. And so on. Everyone loves to see a good romance, to see two people coming together and spending time together and getting to know one another until, I suppose, that relationship blossoms into a deeper and more meaningful commitment where love is what binds them together and love is at the heart of their marriage. And for anyone who reads through the book of Ruth, they'll see that at the very heart of the story, it's a love story. It's a story of a romance between a peasant widow from the idolatrous land of Moab and a kinsman redeemer from the promised land of Canaan. And when we look at their situation, you could, you could have never concluded that this couple were made for each other. Because Ruth was poor and Boaz was rich. Ruth was from Moab, Boaz was from Israel. Ruth worshipped idols, Boaz worshipped the living and true God. Ruth was a widow, and as far as we know, Boaz had never been married. And at face value, this was an unlikely romance. And it was an unexpected romance. And yet, for all their differences, the providence of God brought these two lives together and intertwined them so perfectly and so beautifully that their meeting was in no way an accident. It was all part of the perfect plan of God. And of course this romance in the book of Ruth is a picture of what's at the heart of our gospel. Because the gospel is a picture of an unlikely romance. Where we are the unlovely sinners who don't deserve to be loved. And yet our Redeemer Jesus Christ comes to us in his grace and in his mercy. And he calls us by name and he redeems us to himself. And he enters into a relationship with us in which we are in union with him for all eternity. But as we saw last week when we considered the book of Ruth through the eyes of, of Naomi, we saw that the book of Ruth is not only a story of redeeming love, it's also a story of God's sustaining grace in difficult and trying circumstances. But this evening we're looking at the story of redeeming love now through the eyes of Ruth. And I'd like us to do so by just walking through this well-known and much-loved book. And I want us to walk through it and draw out the main themes in each chapter. As you know, there are four chapters in the book of Ruth. And so we could call chapter 1 the weeping chapter. We can call chapter 2 the working chapter. Chapter 3 the waiting chapter. And chapter 4 the wedding chapter. So the weeping chapter the working chapter, the waiting chapter, and the wedding chapter. 
And as we walk through the book, we'll see how this happy couple met and how their, their relationship blossomed. So first of all, we start in chapter 1, in the weeping chapter. So turn to chapter 1 and just read a few verses there at verse 14. This is Ruth and Naomi and Orpah. They lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. But Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. So when we were looking at Naomi last week, we saw the brokenness of her experience. Where, as a family, Elimelech had made the mistake of leaving Israel during a famine, and he he travelled to Moab in search of a better life. But it was a providential mistake, because Elimelech's bad move from the famine in Israel it led to a famine in Naomi's home, where she lost her husband, Elimelech, and then she lost both her sons, Malon and Chilion. Naomi lost everything that mattered to her in life. But so did Ruth. Ruth had married into Naomi's family, and she had gained a husband, she had gained a father-in-law, and she had gained a brother-in-law. But she too lost them all. And you could see that Ruth was also a woman of brokenness. And yet it was through her brokenness that she came to experience the blessedness of knowing the Lord. It was through her experience of brokenness in Moab that Ruth came to experience the blessedness of Bethlehem, which is the house of bread. It was through her brokenness in Moab and her lack of comfort and solace there that Ruth came to know the comfort and consolation which can only be found in the house of bread. Because it's there in the house of bread that we meet the bread of life, that bread which came down from heaven. He's the only one that can give to us that true lasting comfort in the midst of our brokenness. And that's where Ruth came. She came to Bethlehem, the house of bread. But she not only came to know the place, she also came to know the person. Because when Naomi tells Ruth to go back to Moab, she tells her to go back. back. Naomi wants Ruth to leave, to leave her and go back to Moab. And Naomi, she wants to leave every painful reminder that she has of Moab in Moab. She wants Ruth to go and live her own life and that she will not be a, a burden to her anymore. But Ruth doesn't want to let Naomi go. Ruth loved her mother-in-law because... Naomi loved and cared for Ruth. And despite Naomi's attempt to persuade Ruth to turn back to Moab, uh, we're told that Ruth clung to her. Ruth clung to her. And then for the first time in the book, Ruth speaks in verse 17. And when she does so, she utters her confession of faith. Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. And what we see in these remarkable words is that Ruth's faith was in Naomi's God. Ruth's faith was in the God of Israel and not the gods of Moab. 
Because everything about Ruth had changed. Her direction had completely changed. She, wasn't, she didn't want to go back to Moab. She wants to go to Bethlehem, the house of Brent. Her desires had also changed. She's willing to stay beside Naomi and go with her wherever she goes. Ruth's belonging had changed. She no longer felt that she belonged to the people in Moab and the gods of Moab. She casts her lot in with the Lord's people. It's, when you read it, it's a dramatic change for Ruth. But it's a wonderful change. And it's one of the most beautiful confessions of faith found in Scripture. And it ought to remind us that that's our confession of faith too. For the Lord asks us, will you go back to Moab? Will you go back to the world and serve their gods? And the confession of those who have cast their lot in with Jesus is, Entreat me not to leave thee, or from following after thee, but where I go, where, where you go I will go, where you lodge I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, your God my God, where I die, where you die there I will die also, and there will I be buried. And you know, Jesus, when he asked, he asked the same question Naomi asked to the disciples. Because, do you remember in John chapter 6, when Jesus revealed to all the crowds that he's the bread of life who has come down from heaven. And that in order to have eternal life, he says they must eat his flesh and drink his blood. But what happens next, you could say, I suppose, it's a Ruth and Orpah moment. Because many of the disciples who heard Jesus' words, they confessed, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? And from that moment, many of the disciples did what Orpah did. They turned back and they no longer followed Jesus. But then Jesus turned to his disciples to ask almost the same question that Naomi asked Ruth. Will you also go away? And it's at that point in the gospel that Peter steps forward and confesses his faith. Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And we know and we believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But this is not only Peter's confession. And it's not... And to some extent, it's not only Ruth's confession. This is also the confession of all of the Lord's people. That when circumstances in our lives change and providence writes a different story to what we had planned and our faith is tried and tested, yet it's in the trial of our faith that we're made to see how much we truly depend upon the Lord. Because when all our strength is actually stripped from us, and circumstances take their toll upon us. Are we not left saying, to whom else can we go? But to my Jesus. For he alone has the words of eternal life. And my friend, there are many of the Lord's people who are like Ruth. For they have a weeping <coughs> chapter in their lives. But it's in that weeping chapter that they come to know the preciousness of having Jesus by their side. And maybe for you it was knowing that Jesus was by your side and that he would be faithful in all that you went through. It was knowing that in your weeping chapter. That's what enabled you to turn your mourning into dancing. That's what enabled you to turn the darkness of your circumstances into the light of hope. That's what enabled you to say with the psalmist, weeping may for a night endure, but at morn doth joy arise. 
And maybe tonight you look back of what you, at what you've been through. You look back at the weeping chapter in your life. There may have been many chapters of weeping. But tonight you confess, had it not been that way, I would not have known the Lord so intimately. Had it not been that way, that the, and had the Lord not brought these things into my life, I would have never sought him the way I, way I did. I would never have cried to him in prayer the way I did. Had it not been for the weeping chapter in my life, I wouldn't have fully understand, understood that he calls me to cast all my cares upon him because he cares for me. Had it not been this way, I wouldn't have learned more and more about the love and the faithfulness and the graciousness and the mercy of this God who has been faithful to me. And so we have the weeping chapter. The weeping chapter. But secondly we see the working chapter. The working chapter. So go to chapter 2 at verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favour. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So there are, th- there are two themes which run or flow throughout this romantic love story. And they are the themes of redemption and providence. And these themes, they begin to flow here in the working chapter. Because in the opening verses of the working chapter, we're, we're introduced to the main character of the story. This man called Boaz. And although we are told a lot about Ruth and the change of circumstances in Ruth's life, the change could have never taken place without Boaz. Because Boaz is the key figure in the narrative. And providence was leading Ruth to Boaz. And redemption was to be accomplished by Boaz. But in this working chapter we ought to see that the emphasis is not upon Ruth working in the field of Boaz. The emphasis is upon God working in the heart of Ruth. Where God is working in Ruth's life in order to bring her to Boaz. And he does so by his works of providence. Because when Ruth and Naomi, when they enter into Bethlehem, they come at a time of prosperity and and blessing. And as we read, Naomi assures Ruth that there is a man who is related to her husband who is wealthy. And his name is Boaz. Boaz, and maybe he'll be able to help them. But that's as far as she goes. Because in the meantime, we're told that young Ruth, she sets off to go to work and glean in the fields of Bethlehem in order to provide for herself and her mother-in-law. But all the time, God is working. And God's providential care for Ruth is what shines through in this chapter. Because of all the fields for Ruth to glean in, she went to glean in the field of Boaz. Now gleaning it was simply picking up the leftovers. That when the fields of barley or grain or corn, when they were all harvested, the harvesters would leave behind anything that fell onto the ground. And they weren't to pick it up. So that uh, there would be something for those who were poor or who were strangers in the land. But this wasn't, it wasn't just an act of kindness. It was a command of the Lord to leave these things behind. And so Ruth, who was this poor widow and she was a stranger, 
she ended up gleaning in the field of Boaz. And we might be tempted to think that, well, Ruth planned the whole thing. She went looking for Boaz. But the passage says in verse 3, So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. This wasn't Ruth's plan. And at the same time, it wasn't an accident. And it wasn't by chance or by luck. But it was all according to the works of God's providence. And what do we mean by the works of God's providence? Well, we mean that according to God's plan and purpose, there are no accidents. There are no chance meetings. There are no random events. Everything in our lives and everything in the world that takes place according to God's sovereign decree. The Heidelberg Catechism, that's a brilliant document. It's used primarily by the, the, the Dutch Reformed churches. But it defines the meaning of providence. I think it's question 27. And it's, it puts it in such a wonderful way. It says that providence is the almighty and ever-present power of God whereby he still upholds, as it were, by his own hand, heaven and earth together with all creatures. And he rules in such a way that leaves and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and unfruitful years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, and everything else, it all comes to us, not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. And you know, it's a beautiful statement. And that's what we see here. That Ruth encountered Boaz, not by chance, but by the guiding hand of her heavenly father. And when Ruth went out to glean in the fields that morning, she wasn't sure what was ahead of her. She didn't know what was ahead. She was looking for someone to show grace and kindness to her. And no sooner had she started working and picking up uh, what was left behind, no sooner than that Boaz caught a glimpse of Ruth. And he wanted to know straight away, who is that? Who is that woman? It says in verse 5, Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And in God's marvellous work of providence, Ruth received a great provision. That's what we see next. But it says in verse 8, Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said, Why have I found favour in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? What we ought to see in Ruth's provision is that Boaz took the initiative. He instigated the provision. He approached Ruth and assured her that she would be looked after. And my friend, that's what grace is and that's what grace does. God's grace always takes the initiative. And God's grace always delivers the greatest provision which is completely undeserved. That's what he did with our salvation. He took the initiative. He made the first move towards his beloved bride. 
And he ensured that redemption would be accomplished by sending his son to rescue us from our brokenness and our poverty and sin. Not because we deserved it, but solely because he loves us. Is that not what John said in his letter? We love him because he first loved us. He, God took the initiative in our salvation. That whilst we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins, walking according to the course of this world, walking in Moab, God reached down. God plucked us as brands from the burning. And through a remarkable work of his providence, he brought us to a place where he made himself known to us. And there, when he brought us to that place, he assured us by his word that he will be with us and that he will provide for all our needs. Unlike Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, our kinsman redeemer, Jesus, he promises to his church that he will treat us like a member of his own family. He says to his bride, my daughter, my daughter. It's a term of love and endearment. But listen to what Boaz says to Ruth in verse 8. Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young woman. Stay close. Stay close, he says. What an encouragement. All that was required of Ruth to graciously receive the blessings from the hand of Boaz was that she would stay close. And that's that's all that's required of us. To stay close to our Redeemer. And keep our eyes fixed upon him. And he promises to do the rest. Stay close. And he will graciously provide and protect his people. As he works in us. And as he works for us. And through us. For his own glory. And that's what he's saying to us tonight. Stay close my daughter. Stay close. And so as the working chapter comes to a close. We see God's work of providence in the life of Ruth lead to the provision of Boaz. And at the end of the chapter, she receives this promise of blessing right at the end of chapter 2. And read at verse 19. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, This man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living of the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young women until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. And so that's the working chapter. We've looked at the weeping chapter, the working chapter, and now we move into chapter 3 and we see the waiting chapter. The waiting chapter. So look at verse 1 of chapter 3. The waiting chapter. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter... Should I not seek rest for you, that I may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? 
See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash therefore and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. And so what we see in in this waiting chapter is Naomi's plan unfolding. Because ever since Boaz came onto the scene, Naomi has been a different person. Ruth's report at the end of, of the working chapter when she said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Ever since that moment, those words were a sweet sound to the ears of Naomi. They reminded her that the Lord is still in control. He is still working. Because as widows in Israel, Ruth and Naomi could only look forward to a difficult life. There was nothing worse than being a widow in ancient Israel. Because widows were taken advantage of or they were ignored completely. They were in total poverty. But knowing that Boaz had taken an interest in Ruth, Naomi knows that there is a possibility of finding security. Which is why she asks in verse 1, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Shall I not seek security for you? Shall I not secure a permanent home for you? Naomi knows that Ruth is still a stranger in the land. She's from Moab. But she wants to make sure that Ruth's future is secure. Because it was one thing for Ruth to endure widowhood in a foreign land during Naomi's lifetime. But it would be another thing altogether when Naomi would die and pass away. And so Naomi sought to secure for Ruth this inheritance. But it was an inheritance that she didn't have to give. It could only be an inheritance through a kinsman redeemer. And with this Naomi reminded Ruth of her relationship to Boaz. That Boaz was this close relative from the family of Elimelech, Noah's husband. uh, Naomi's Naomi's husband who had passed away. And, And that Boaz was this man. He was this man whom we've been told already. He was a wealthy man. An influential man. And one who could rescue these two widows from poverty and give them this new beginning. And so Naomi's plan was to see if Boaz would accept responsibility of being the kinsman redeemer to Ruth. Now, I suppose the concept of a kinsman redeemer, it's not common to us. But within the civil laws of Israel, God had commanded that when a woman's husband died... She could marry a brother or the nearest relative to her husband if he was willing. But if he was not willing, as we'll see, then the next nearest relative could take his place. In which he could volunteer to marry this widow and take responsibility for her. And so Naomi takes her providential opportunity and she encourages Ruth to go down to the threshing floor to meet Boaz. And what we see in Naomi's plan is that she tells Ruth who to go to. She's to go to Boaz. And Naomi tells Ruth where to go. She's to go to the threshing floor. And Naomi tells Ruth when she's to go. She's to go tonight. She's not to wait one moment longer. She's to go down to the threshing floor 
and find Boaz tonight. And you know, I can't help but see the modern equivalent of Naomi's plan. Because this old mother-in-law in Israel, she gives Ruth the greatest advice and she presents to her the greatest plan. A plan that would change Ruth's life forever. Because Naomi instructs Ruth as to who she should go to. She instructs her as to where she should go. And she also tells her how she should go or when she should go. And I suppose we should all be Naomi's in this world. And Naomi's plan should always be the vision of the church. Because all we all need to be telling people who they should go to. We all need to be telling people where they should go to. And we all need to be telling people when they should go. And if there was ever a day that we needed this plan of Naomi put into practice, put into action in our lives, it's now. Because we need to be directing people to the one who is sitting at the threshing floor of the gospel. We need to direct them to our kinsman redeemer who is able to grant security and rest and a new beginning for anyone who will come to him. And like Naomi, it is to him and to no other that we ought to be directing people. To him and to no other. But as we progress through the narrative, we see Naomi's plan. We see that it's unfolding. But we also see that Ruth's proposal was left waiting. And we see that in verse 6. Verse 6 of chapter 3. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went in to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? She answered him, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Ruth came to the threshing floor in the shadow of the night in order to find her kinsman redeemer and secure her redemption. And she sought to follow Naomi's plan. That when, Na- when Boaz uh, came to the threshing floor, she was to observe how he lay down and she was to go over to him. She was to uncover his feet and lie down at his feet. And when we hear this, Naomi's plan, that might seem a little strange to us, but it's not suggesting that it was seductive in any way. There's nothing improper about what Ruth did. Because uncovering the feet of Boaz, it wasn't symbolic. It was for the simple reason of making his feet cold so that he'd wake up. And it would allow, it wouldn't, he wouldn't then disturb all the other workers who were probably lying beside him. So the act of, of uncovering his feet wasn't symbolic. But the act of sitting at his feet was symbolic. Because it indicates that she was this humble petitioner seeking protection and security. And it was the only way that she could offer herself to her kinsman redeemer. She had to put herself at the, the Lord of her harvest. And in doing so, she knew that he would do the rest. And so Ruth comes to the feet of Boaz in order to make a proposal of marriage. And in her actions, Ruth was asking Boaz to obey the law of a kinsman redeemer and take her as his wife. 
Ruth was asking for commitment. She was asking for redemption. She was asking for, for security and a new beginning with Boaz. And she came to his feet in order to secure a redemption. And you know, we, we may ask, we, we're looking at it and saying, well, why is Ruth asking? Why is Ruth asking Boaz? Why didn't she just wait for Boaz to propose to her? Because isn't that the right and proper thing to do? Especially since he initiated the conversation between them. But the reason Boaz wasn't making a move on Ruth was because there was, a, there was another man on the scene who was a closer relative than Boaz. That's what it says in verse 12. Now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. But Boaz, he doesn't dismiss, dismiss Ruth, Ruth's proposal completely. Because he makes a pledge to Ruth. He says in the following verse, verse 13. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. The love which Boaz had for Ruth was that he was more willing to pour out his grace upon her and meet her every need. Boaz was more willing to secure a redemption for Ruth. He was more than willing to marry her. More than willing. But they had to wait. They had to wait. And Ruth had to learn to wait upon her Redeemer. Which is why Naomi says at the end of the waiting chapter. In verse 18. Wait my daughter until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest but will settle the matter today. Ruth had to sit and to wait upon her Redeemer. To know that her redemption was secured. And there's a lesson for us here too. That we need to learn to wait upon our Redeemer until our redemption is complete. Because our redemption will only be complete when we are at the wedding of the Redeemer in glory. That's when it will be complete. But until then we have to learn to sit and wait upon our Redeemer. And we have to learn to know that His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His plans are not our plans. And we have to learn that he is working. And that he will continue to work until the matter is settled. And redemption is secured. Because there can be no wedding unless there is a secured redemption. And this is what we see in the final chapter. The wedding chapter. So we've looked at the weeping chapter, the working chapter, the waiting chapter. But now we come to the climax of this love story. The wedding chapter. The wedding chapter. So look at chapter 4 and verse 1. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside friend. Sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. So when Boaz came to the gate of the town of Bethlehem. He came to where the governing body of the town met. Because it was at the gate of a town or of a city. That uh, the official court was held. And it, where all the judicial business was transacted. And it was done in the presence of the elders. And so at the gate of Bethlehem. Boaz sat down with this other man. Who was a nearer relative. 
And Boaz explains the situation to him. It says in verse 3, Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to her relative, Elimelech. So I thought I'd tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. And at that point, the near relative, he's willing to redeem the land of Naomi. But Boaz then explains that he must also redeem Ruth in order to provide a complete redemption. Verse 5. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. But when the close relative, when he learns that Ruth was part of the deal, part of the redemption, he concedes. He says, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. The close relative was more concerned about his own inheritance than Ruth. But not so for Boaz. He was more concerned with Ruth than his inheritance. And he steps forward and he commits to redeeming Ruth and providing a complete redemption. Because the love of Boaz for Ruth was such that he was willing to do everything in order to marry her. He was willing to do everything in order to have Ruth as his bride. And in a symbolic act, Boaz secures Ruth's redemption. It says in verse 7, Now this was the custom in former times in Israel, concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. The one threw off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself, he threw off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and to Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. But what this wedding chapter ought to show us is that it was a wedding with a difference. Because Ruth wasn't present in her act of redemption. You could probably say that Ruth, she wasn't present at her wedding. In fact, Ruth is hardly mentioned in the wedding chapter at all. Ruth doesn't even say anything in the wedding chapter. But even though she's not mentioned and she doesn't say anything, the wedding chapter is all about Ruth. The main character is Boaz, but it's all about Ruth's redemption. And if we were to have asked Boaz as he made his way to the entrance of the city, having been at the threshing floor, and if we were to ask him, Boaz, who are you thinking of? He would say, I'm thinking of Ruth. And if we were to have asked him as he sat with the elders transacting all the business and seeking redemption, we could have asked him, Boaz, who are you here for? And he would say, I am here for Ruth. And if in the middle of his transaction we were able to uncover the heart of Boaz and discover what we would, would be discovered, we would discover that Ruth is right there in his heart. 
Because this wedding chapter, it's all about Ruth's redemption. But you know, when we come to the central moments of the Bible, and we see a man upon a cross, and this man's work of redemption is not at the gate of the city, it's outside the city walls. And his transaction is not with the elders of the city, his transaction is with the God of heaven. And if we were to have asked Jesus as he was being crucified between two malefactors, if we had asked him, who are you thinking of? He would say, I'm thinking of my bride, the church. And if we were to have asked Jesus as he was being mocked by all the crowd and spat upon and taunted by those who hated him, if we'd have asked him, who are you here for? He would have said, I'm here for my bride, the church. And if in the middle of Calvary's great transaction, in the midst of the darkness and all the cries of suffering, we were able to uncover the heart of Jesus and uncover all his affections and uncover his his great purposes and plans, we would see that he's not thinking of himself. He's not thinking about his own needs. No, he's just thinking about his bride, the church. His beloved bride that he came to redeem. Not with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but with his precious blood. He came to redeem her because she was powerless to redeem herself. And for the bride of Christ today, we can look at the redemption accomplished by Jesus Christ and say with certainty, He loved me and he gave himself for me. This Jesus loved me. And he gave himself for me. I just want to close. I'll close by saying this. that Many of the gospel hymns that we have. They were born out of some of the most tragic events. Because at only the age of 38. The height of a fruitful music career. The life of Philip Paul Bliss. P.P. Bliss. It ended very suddenly in tragedy. Because in the winter of 1876, P.P. Bliss and his wife, they were returning home on a train after visiting his mother. And as they were travelling across this rail bridge, the rail bridge gave way and collapsed and the train had plunged 60 feet to the ground below and then caught fire. And in the crash, over, it said that over 100 passengers perished. But the bodies of P.P. Bliss and his wife, they were never recovered from the wreckage. But it said that among some of the belongings that survived the train wreckage, there was the manuscript of a hymn that he had just finished. And it was a hymn called My Redeemer. And these are the words that Bliss wrote just moments before the crash. I will sing of my Redeemer and his wondrous love to me. On the cruel cross he suffered from the curse to set me free. I will tell the wondrous story, how my lost estate to save, in his boundless love and mercy, he the ransom freely gave. I will praise my dear Redeemer, his triumphant power I'll tell, how the victory he giveth, over sin and death and hell. I will sing of my Redeemer, and his heavenly love to me, he from death to life hath brought me, son of God with him to be. Sing, O sing of my Redeemer, with his blood he purchased me. On the cross he sealed my pardon, paid my debt, and made me free. 
So my friend, as we leave here this evening, let's do as P.P. Bliss did in life and in death. Let us sing of our Redeemer and his wondrous love towards us. May the Lord bless these thoughts to us. Let us pray. O Lord, our gracious God, we bless thee and we praise thee that thou art a wonderful Redeemer, one who has done in us and for us, far above and beyond our asking or our thinking. We thank thee, O Lord, that even whilst we were yet sinners, that Christ died for us, that he bought us with that great price, that he redeemed us with his own blood. Help us, Lord, we pray, never to lose sight of it, for how often in this world and in the busyness of a day we forget that we are those who belong to Jesus. We forget that we are those who are united to him. We forget that we are loved by him eternally and that through everything in life, that whatever life has to throw at us, whatever providence comes our way, that thou art the one who still loves us, who has said to us that thou art mine. O Lord, bless us, we pray. Keep us in the hollow of thine own hand. Keep our going out and our coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Do us good, we pray, and go before us for Jesus' sake. Amen. We shall conclude by singing in Psalm 130. Psalm 130, page 421, the Scottish Psalter. Psalm 130 will sing the whole psalm. Lord, from the depths to thee I cried, My voice, Lord, do thou hear, and to my supplications voice give an attentive ear. Down to the end of the psalm, and plenteous redemption is ever found with him, and from all of his iniquities he, Israel, shall redeem. These verses to God's praise. Lord, from the depths to
Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore. Amen.